Generations Church Podcast. this series, you're going to hear the staff. Um, my wife, we've got another staff member sharing kind of their obscure moments and their seasons of obscurity because we want you guys to tell your story through video too because I think there is power in people's testimonies and power in people's stories. And so um, we love hearing other people's stories. And one thing that I have discovered and one thing that I just know is true about people. We see people with their lives and their houses and their cars and everything seems great and everything seems wonderful, but the reality is you don't know what you don't know. Um, It's just a truth of life. You don't know what that person has gone through to get to the point that they are. And most people that I look at their lives, and man, I just respect where they are, and I'm like, how did you get there? Usually there has been seasons of obscurity that they had to get to that you and I had no idea about getting there. And this was a very, man, tough season for our life. In fact, I see Stan and Julia Kirkendall here. They're on my left, and and Stan, actually Julia and her son Drew, I think Julia, may, you may forget about this, I don't know. When we moved into the rental house um, in Jinx, Oklahoma, and we had no idea that this thing was even gonna work, and I'm glad it did. Um, but <laughs> while we were there, Julia and her son Drew came in and brought groceries, and I remember they brought Oreos, they brought toilet paper, two necessities in life, um, and it was just, she'll, she may have forgotten about that, but man, still to this point, I remember just how hurt and lonely we were in that moment, in that season, and just them coming and bringing something, man, ministered to us and made us realize that we weren't alone. And the reality is there's a lot of us, just like Casey shared, we didn't wanna be where we ended up. We didn't want that situation to be the reality of where our life was, and yet nonetheless, that's where life was. Um, this point's a little illustrated to me and one of our first times that we went over to Ethiopia. It was my second time, um, but some of the church is our church official first trip to Ethiopia, which we're doing another one at spring break. If you want to go to that meeting the first Sunday in November about going on a mission trip to Ethiopia, you got to be there. But um, the process of us going to Ethiopia, we were flying home. And me and my buddy Adam Crisp, we got to the airport in Ethiopia and we needed to use the restroom. And um, when you fly to other countries, especially Ethiopia, their signage is just not the best. It's hard to tell which is the men's and which is the women's. Um, And so you're just sitting there and you've got, I mean, it's not like we're little kids. When we need to use the restroom, we're like, we need to use the restroom. And uh, so we're sitting there thinking and looking and I'm looking, trying to figure out where the arrow is pointing and we, we walk in there, and it's, it's so small. And um, I'm going to try to tell this story without being too graphic. Um, but in the, in the process of looking at this bathroom, it was like, for all the men, it was like one of those trough urinals. You know what I'm talking about? Um, and all the women are like, guys are so gross. Um, but that, that's what it appeared to be. And I'm like, man, I don't know, Adam. I don't know if this is the right place. I'm like, it kind of seems like a closet. And he's like, I, I, I'm with you. I go, well, I guess it's just the way Ethiopian bathrooms are. And so uh, we line up uh, to fire away. And... Um, 
all of a sudden, in the, in the process of things that happen when you're using the restroom, this little Ethiopian lady runs in. It's like, no, 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 no. Now, at that point, I'm like, I had yet to, um, things had not started yet in my life. And so I was like, whoa, you know. And Adam's over there. He's like, it's too late, you know. Um, <laughs> I'm only going, we are peeing in the janitor's closet at an Ethiopian airport. And she's like, this is closet, men restroom that way. And I fall out. I mean, I'm laughing. I'm like, ah, I'm peeing in the janitor's closet. You know, I'm like, you just exposed yourself to an Ethiopian lady. Um, This is awesome right now. And we totally laughed for probably like, man, for at least a solid day about it. We couldn't stop laughing. Um, because here's the deal. Me and Adam really tried not to use the bathroom in the janitor's closet, okay? Um, this was not something we did on purpose. It just kind of happened. And can I tell you, the reality is for you and me, a lot of us, where we're at in life, you don't want to be where you are right now. You don't want the stage of life to be what it is right now, and you've tried to avoid the obscurity that life is right now. You, you tried to make the right decisions, and yet, this is where you are. And this morning, if you don't hear anything else, listen to me, listen to me, check in right here. The ability And the choices you make in the hard moments, in the obscure moments of life, will greatly determine how hard the hard times are. Because most of the time, it's not that we make a bad first decision that really costs us and that we can't recover from. It's the second bad decision. It's the third bad decision. It's the follow-up decision. And our bad decisions start having babies and they start multiplying. And when you allow your bad decision, your bad choices to start reproducing bad choices, that's when it's really hard to recover. And that's really hard to thrive in that place of obscurity, in that place of pain, in that place place of difficulty and in that place of hurt. And so how do you and I this morning thrive when we're hurting? How do we thrive when it's difficult? How do we thrive when we're in pain? How do we thrive, not just survive, but how do we thrive in obscurity? The first thing I would tell you is this, is that don't let the hard times turn into lonely times. Don't allow the hard times to turn in to lonely times. Every one of us experience a pain no matter who you are in this place that is a little debilitating when it happens. It is your pinky toe. And if you don't have, this is true, if you don't have shoes on and you, I'm not talking about like bump your pinky toe. I'm talking you make that pinky toe bleed on the side or the inside between your toes where the toe jam is. If you nail that pinky toe, I'm telling you, it makes grown men weep. Um, And anytime I hit my pinky toe, it happens about two or three times a year because I have really big feet, is that when I hit my pinky toe, I'm not a cusser. I'm not somebody that used profanity and I don't even want to hit my pinky toe. But when I hit that, I just go, mother, and I just take off running. I just yell mother and I just, I'm like, oh, and Casey starts like falling down laughing. She's like, what you do? Um, 
um, because I'm like, oh, 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 you know, and I, I like take off to my room. I don't want to be bothered, right? Because I have nothing positive to say, so you need to allow this to decompress for a little bit until I can re-enter humanity in a positive, supportive way. Because my kids can be like, what's wrong, Dad? Shut up, kids, my pinky toe hurts. <laughs> you know, there's gonna be damage that is done. Because I'm just trying to breathe and not weep like a big baby girl at that point. Um, it hurts. And, and here's, the, here's the deal, why's it gotta be a girl? Um, here's the deal, is that all of us have these pain moments. And anytime I hurt myself physically, I want to be left alone. But the reality of life is anytime we've been hurt emotionally, relationally, anytime life doesn't turn out the way we thought and we're in a difficult, painful, hard place, the tendency is to isolate ourselves. The tendency is to just leave me alone till I can recover from this. And that's not what God has called you and how he's called you to survive and live and act in this place of pain, in this place of hardship, in this place of obscurity. The Bible says this in Psalms 25, verse 15 through 16, it says, my eyes are always looking to the Lord for help. He will keep me from many traps. And he says this, turn to me and have mercy on me because I am lonely and hurting. And some of us, this is where we're at. You are lonely and you are hurting because when we hurt, the tendency is to allow our hurting moments to become lonely moments, to insulate and isolate our lives. If people have hurt you, your friends, and they you know, turned their backs on you and said things, what do we do? We cut ourselves and we isolate ourselves from everyone so no one can hurt us. If our spouse has hurt us, we, we isolate ourselves from our spouse so that our spouse can't hurt us anymore, and we isolate and we insulate our life to, to try to minimize the pain. And what happens as a result is that our hard times become lonely times, and your hard times were never intended to turn into lonely times. And we start listening to the lies of our emotions instead of obeying the, the voice of the Spirit. So what are some of the lies that we listen to of our emotions? The first one is this, is that we think, we, we say this to ourselves, well, I'm all alone. I'm, I'm alone. Psalms 94, verse 7 through 9, and then verse 17 through 19, out of the Good News Translation, I love the way this reads. It says, they say, the Lord does not see us. The God of Israel does not notice. My people, the psalmist, David gets right to it. <laughs> How can you be such stupid fools? Some of you, you have felt like saying that. Don't say it. Um, it's not gonna help your relationships. Um, when will you ever learn? God made our ears. Can he hear? He made our eyes. Can't he see? Verse 17, if the Lord had not helped me, I would have gone quickly to the land of silence. I said, I am falling but your constant love, O oh Lord, held me up. Whenever I am anxious and worried, you comfort me and make me glad. This morning, your emotions, 
The things that that you want to believe about your situation, about your life, isn't necessarily true. This morning, if you think you are alone, hear me as your pastor, that's not true. You are not alone. You don't have to be lonely. You are listening to the emotions of the situation instead of the truth of the word. And the only way to defeat the emotional lies is to invade emotions with truth. And some of you, you've got to allow truth to come into your situation, into the land of obscurity that you find yourself in so that you realize this morning that you're not alone. Emotion wants to say, well, God doesn't know my name. Well, God doesn't see me. Well, God doesn't care. Nobody else cares. Nobody else wants anything to do with me. Nobody else wants to help me in my situation. And hear me, that's simply not true. It's not true. And his word, just go back to this this truth that says, whenever I am anxious and worried, you comfort me and make me glad. It doesn't say that God abandoned you. God's with you. God's for you. And you've got to invade the emotional lies of your obscurity and your hardship and your pain, you gotta invade it with truth. The Bible also says this in Isaiah 43, verses one through three, it says, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name, and I love this part. You are mine. You are his. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flames scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. You are mine. Your difficulty's not gonna overwhelm you. Man, you feel like you've been burned. I'm right there with you. It's not gonna burn you up. It's not gonna scorch you. It's not gonna, it's not gonna continue to impact your life because I'm simply with you and you are mine. I think my wife has a superpower when we go to football games. We are a family that cheers for the Jinx Trojans. I'm just gonna lay that out there. Um, You can bring all your hate mail later. Um, But we are Jinx Trojan family. My girls go to Jinx. And um, we go to the Friday night games. And we have uh, seats about on the 50-yard line by parents, by other friends. And our kids are getting to the age now where they want to go sit in the student section, in the end zone, um, with the mid-high. and the elementary, the kind of the fifth and sixth graders. And so, so we let them go. And when we're right when we sit down, Casey always leans over to me every, every game. And she goes, hey, do you see Charlie and Chloe? I'm like, how am I going to see Charlie and Chloe? They're 50-something yards away in a mass full of kids. I'm like, ha, ha, no, I don't see Charlie and Chloe. Are you crazy? And she's like, oh, I can see them. And she's like, they're seven rows up, three kids to the left, and the ponytail wearing red. I'm like, every kid's wearing red, and every girl has a ponytail. You know, like, like what, are you, what are you talking about? I mean, I, like she has to use a light to read her Bible in the morning, but she can see her kids. 75 yards away up there in the end. I'm like, how, how do you do this? But, but here's how she has the ability to do this. First off, she knows what they're wearing. I have no idea. I'm just like, make sure you've got enough clothes on where boys aren't checking you out. And we're good. That's all dad cares about. You wear red, you wear white, you wear blue, but you got to wear enough of it. That's all my rule is. And so she knows what they're wearing. 
She knows their mannerisms. She knows how they fix their hair. She knows how they move. She knows their acts. She knows their habits. And she knows her kids. You know why? Because they're hers. She can pick her kids out of a mass of children because those are her kids and she's their mom. And this morning, you aren't lost in the mass of people. In all of this creation, your story, what's going on with you, you're not lost because, hear me, you are his. And God says, you are mine. I know your name. I know your story. I know what you're going through. I know how you fixed your hair. I know that your outfit doesn't match this morning. I know all of the intricate, I know your habits. I know your mannerisms. I know how you think. I know the tendencies of you to feel sorry for yourself or to get pitiful when this is going on. I know how you're acting in obscurity. I know how you're going through this hardship. And hear me, in the process of all this, don't lose this. You're going through rivers. You're going through fires. You're going through hardships. But understand, when you think you're for forgotten when you think you're alone. No, 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 no. You're mine. You're my child, and my eye is on you. The second thing that we tend to believe, the lie that we listen to, is that no one understands. No one understands. No one gets it, right? That's what we say. No, nobody gets it. Nobody's gone through what I've gone through, and I got to tell you, this is a very dangerous place that we come to as a person, because when you say your situation is different, when you say you're the exception to the rule, when nobody else gets it, when nobody else understands, when nobody knows the pain that you are dealing with, what happens is we start refusing instruction, we start receiving advice, we stop receiving uh, input into our life, and we think we have to do it on our own. And when you and I stop re receiving instruction, when we stop receiving advice, when we stop receiving, allowing people to talk into our life, can I tell you what we begin to do is start making emotional decisions. We make decisions based on emotions rather than fact. We make emo uh, decisions based on how we feel instead of the word of God. And because nobody else has been in our shoes and done what we've done and in the hardship that we are in. As a result, we make decisions that bring regret, that bring pain, that we wish we could go back and do again. But we don't allow other people to speak into our life or the word of God to even speak into our life or the still small voice of the Holy Spirit to speak into our life because no one else gets it. First John chapter three, verse 20 says this, for God is greater than our worried hearts and knows more about us than we do ourselves. He knows more about our worried hearts than we do ourselves. God knows you better than you know you. God knows what you're feeling more than you know what you're feeling because most of us don't know what we're feeling when we're going through the hard times, right? We're just trying to survive. We're just trying to keep our head above water. And processing the feelings, processing all the emotions, that's something hard enough. And so we're just in this obscure place, this obscure moment, and we're just trying to keep our head above water. And God's saying this, man, you may think nobody else gets you, but I know more about you and your troubled and your worried heart than you will ever know about you and your troubled heart and your worried heart. And what tends to happen 
is when we're in these moments where we think nobody gets us, we push instead of pull. We become a pusher instead of a puller. We start pushing people away. We start pushing advice and instruction away. We start pushing the church away because church doesn't want all this mess. The church doesn't care about me. The church, I didn't even get a call from my pastor, right? The church doesn't care about me. Nobody reached out to me. Nobody, they shook my hand, but nobody hugged my neck. You know, nobody talked to me during mingle time. And we start making excuses based on our emotions and we start pushing things away. We push our Bible away. We put, because if God was a good God, how could he let this happen? We push and Instead of pull. You're not called to push because pushing isolates and insulates. You're called to pull. You're called to draw near to God because if you draw near to him, his word says he'll draw near to you. You gotta pull in in those obscure, hard moments. You gotta pull into relationships. When the one thing you feel like doing is isolating, you gotta do the opposite and you gotta pull into people you know are godly and are for you. And you gotta have an ear to hear what God is speaking to them because sometimes we can't hear it for ourselves. Man, you, you gotta pull, pull into the church. Don't get mad at the church. Don't get, get mad at God, that's fine. Hear me, Casey talked about it. I was, I was mad, I was mad, I was angry. But you know what, even when we weren't a staff member, we kept going to church. Because I knew we needed to go to church. We needed fellowship. It's not just a slogan. We say that we're better together. I truly believe we're better together. The reason we go to a small group is because to my core, I know we're better together. And you can worship with a crowd, but you can't do life with one. Man, you, you got to pull in to these relationships Pull in to being. Don't forsake the assembly of the church, of the gathering of believers is what the Bible says. Man, keep coming and getting into the presence of God and let iron sharpen iron. Pull, don't push. Don't let the excuse of people just don't get me, people don't understand, keep you from pulling into what you need to pull into. The third thing we believe is this, is that God could have done it differently. My wife talked about it. God, God could have done it differently. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 5. As you don't know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. One thing I, I, I realized when Casey and I went through all that we went through, it wasn't that all 10 years was bad, Right? It's just it was one thing after the another thing after another thing after another thing after another. It was one pastor being mean, another pastor being mean, another pastor saying this and being mean, and another pastor being mean, and then the church people were mean, and, they, and, and we were like, why are we doing this again? Why, why, what, is this, what is this? And we thought life would look like this. We, we thought our dreams, if it doesn't look exactly okay, but it would be close to this, but life was this. And, and really, my wife really, but, but God could have done it differently. And I don't understand why he did it the way he did it. Can I tell you, even this morning, I, I just be, I believe in being real um, as your pastor. I don't stand up here like the holy of holies and start wearing a robe. No, 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 I'm just a guy. And I gotta tell you, I still do not understand why God did what he did the way he did. I, I don't get it. He still could have done it differently. 
And if you're trying to understand why God is doing or has allowed to happen what God allowed to happen, I gotta tell you, you're gonna wonder it the rest of your life. I have no good answer for you this morning. But what I do understand, it would be like when my kids were two years old telling me, hey, Dad, why are you going this way home? You know, this is the total wrong way. I'm like, shut up, you're two, you can't even see the road. You know where you're going? Just eat your Chick-fil-A nuggets and your little fruit cup and your ice cream and don't get on my car, you little brat, you know? Just, you don't know where you're going. And here's the, and the reason I say it's like a two-year-old doing it. Hear, hear me. The God you serve is the creator of the universe. He spoke and there was light. He breathed. He didn't have to speak. He breathed and man came into existence. Right, right. He is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. The universe is still expanding. And the Bible says in Ephesians that Jesus went up so that he could fill the entire universe with his glory. Can I tell you what just psychs me out of my mind is that the reason I believe the universe has to keep expanding is because the glory of God is too big for it to handle. And you're sitting here saying, okay, why'd you do it that way? I don't understand your ways. I don't understand your thought process here, God. It doesn't make sense. It will never make sense because God has a higher purpose and a higher reason for it. And it says this in Isaiah 55, verses eight through nine. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. Thank God, <laughs> says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. I don't know why he did it the way he did it, but man, I just gotta trust his character that even though I don't understand, God is still a good God even when I don't understand God. God is still, I, I may not be able to trace his hand, but I know it's still there. And if you're waiting to understand God and for him to do it differently, you're gonna wait a long time and wonder why it didn't happen a certain way. But I can tell you this, now that I've gone through the, the season of obscurity, I wouldn't change it anyway, because now it all points to him instead of me. And I will leave you with this, it's my last point. Simple truth is this, the venom is in the serum. The venom is in the serum. All of you have seen people on TV milk snakes, right? Like they take, they catch the snake. I would never do this in a million, life, in a million lives. I wouldn't do it for a million dollars. You're like, for real, you wouldn't do it for a million dollars? I would not do it for a million dollars. I hate snakes. I would not take a snake by its head and put it on a cup with a lid on it and just milk its fangs. No freaking way um, would that happen. Um, but they milk these snakes and the venom gets released in a little fla a flask. <laughs> Down that thing. Um, There's somebody that worked out with a flask this past week at the gym. It was awesome. Um, but um, like a real flask, like, man, that's a hard workout. Um, but they, they work out, they, they milk the snake and put it in a, uh, just a vial or some sort of cup so that they can take that venom and literally what they do, the way they make the antidote to snake bites is to take the venom and to draw that venom out and to put it in part of the antidote, to put it into the serum that will actually make you better. What meant to destroy you is used to actually make you better and to heal you. 
And I started thinking about this process, and I started thinking about, huh, that, that's really true. The venom is in the serum. The thing that meant to take you out is actually making you well and making part of the story. And I started thinking about Joseph, and I thought about, man, Joseph's brothers hated him so much that they sold their brother as a slave to their, to their enemies, and they, they, Joseph gets sold. But if Joseph had not gotten sold by his brothers, he never would have gone to Egypt. If he never would have gone to Egypt, he never would have been bought by a slave master called Potiphar. If he would never was bought by Potiphar, he never would have become the head of the household of Potiphar's household. If he never was the head of the household of Potiphar's household and in charge of all the details and all the business, Potiphar's wife, a cougar, never would have had the hots for Joe and wouldn't have like hit on Joe and wouldn't have accused Joe of rape. If she wouldn't have accused Joseph of rape, Joseph would have never gone to prison. If Joseph would have never gone to prison, Joseph would never would have met the cupbearer. If Joseph never would have met the cupbearer, the cupbearer would have never told Pharaoh of Joseph. If, 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 if the Pharaoh never heard of Joseph, Joseph would never have had an audience with Pharaoh. If he never had an audience with Pharaoh, he never would have become the vice president of Egypt. If he was never the vice president of Egypt, he never would have been able to save his dad, his brothers, their families, and millions and millions of lives. But it all started out with somebody who tried to destroy him. The antidote was in the, the, the poison. The venom is in the serum. The thing that is meant to try to take you out is the very thing that God wants to use to be part of your testimony and part of your story. And I close with this, but Joseph said it this way. Genesis 50, 20. He has an audience with his brothers. He's already saved him. His dad's passed away. His brothers are freaked out because they think, oh, this is Joseph. He's gonna get us back because our dad's dead now. And he says this. He says, you intended to harm me. You intended to take me out. You intended to destroy me. I would have used a lot harsher language here than Joseph did. You tried to destroy me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. What you meant to take me out, what you thought would destroy my story, God is using to actually advance his purpose in my life. And there's a reason for it. Because every phase where Joseph went, when he got sold in prison, it says, but God was with Joseph. When he went to prison, when he, when he was accused of rape by Potiphar's wife, it says, but God was with Joseph. When the cupbearer forgot about Joseph, it says, but God was with Joseph. When he went to Pharaoh, it says, but God was with Joseph. And when he went, to, to, to start saving the wheat and saving his brothers all throughout Joseph's life and said, but God was with Joseph. Can I tell you, that divorce may have tried to take you out, but God is with you. That kid may have tried to sever ties, but God is with you. Life may not look like what you thought it would look like, but God is with you. That person that, that had your back may turn their, their back on you and bite your back, but can I tell you, God is with you. The very thing that is trying to destroy you, the very that is coming in and trying to take you out. Can I tell you, if you allow it, if you realize that God is with you, there will be a serum, there will be an antidote, and the very thing that tried to take you out, God is using to set you up for your significance. And there's bigness in that. There's bigness in that. So the question this morning is this. What are you gonna allow 
What serum are you gonna allow to come out of your venom? One of the things I will tell you is this. One of the awesome things that came out of 10 years of obscurity is my wife wrote a book about it. She did. I will never probably write a book because I write like I talk, just one big long run on sentence. Um, I make words up. Um, I just, yeah. I, but she wrote a book called Perfectly Weak, and her whole verse in this, I'm not trying to pitch this to you, I'm telling you what came, the serum that came out of the venom. Her whole point and foundational scripture in this is that in our weakness, his strength is made perfect. See, there's serum that came out of the venom. What they intended to take us out, God is using to heal pastor's wife's hearts, people that are going through hard times in ways that when we started, we never would have thought a book would come out of it. And people that we've never heard of in countries we've never met have read this book and it's encouraged their heart to continue to trust God because they realize, but God is with me. As we're in the process of this, can I tell you, I never thought we would start campuses. I, I say campuses, I mean churches in Kenya, Africa. In, in, the, in the bush that we won't, you, you'll probably never meet him, right? And yet we're there, and here they are in, in the boonies of Kenya, Africa, Maasai warriors out there that have never heard of Jesus Christ, and yet. God's kingdom is being made known and Jesus is being made famous in all that we're doing because what somebody meant to take us out of ministry, God is actually using and his kingdom is being advanced. What good is gonna come out of what tried to destroy you? Can I tell you, the goodness that wants to come won't come up if you allow your hard times to turn into lonely times. If you listen to your emotions more than the truth of God because hear me this morning, listen to me. Listen to me, there is serum in the venom. There's good that will come out of it if you will realize God's with you. He's not leaving you because you are his. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. I thank you for today, I thank you um, God, I, I thank you for never leaving us, never forsaking us. And your word says this. Your word says that if God is for us, who can be against us? Another translation says, if God is for us, what can mere mortals do to me? And God, this morning, I, I pray that every single one of us would realize you are for us. You are with us, you go before us, you are beside us, you are behind us. I could share stories of people who have, have had severed relationships with their kids, and yet there's been restoration made to those relationships, and there was serum in the venom, the thing that meant to destroy their relationship, you've used to make their relationship stronger. Why? Because if you're for us, if you're with us, then who can be against us? The thing that people are trying to use for our harm, the things that Satan is trying to use to take us out, God, becomes the very thing you use to bring our significance, to set us up. And so, Lord, I pray wherever we're at this morning, God, the pain, hurt, 
God, we tried to do everything not to get to this place. And yet we're here. God, I pray that this morning there would just be the realization that we understand we're yours. And the mass of busyness and everything running together, we're yours. You're for us. Lord, I pray that we would keep embating our emotions with truth. We'd lean into you. We trust in you. And that, Lord, we would understand that, man, what was meant to take me out, what was meant to devastate me and not let me get back up, that, God, that's the very thing you're using to set us up, to get us up and to take us to a place we never could have imagined in our wildest of dreams. Lord, I pray right now, meet us where we're at. Meet us where we're at. Speak to our hearts and our lives this morning. It's in Jesus' name I pray. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here this morning, you say, Justin, I'm here and I've never accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. We want to give you that chance. If you're here this morning, you say, Justin, you know, the, the reality is I'm just not where I should be in my relationship with Jesus. We want to give you a chance to change that. For some of you, it's about coming home this morning. And all I'm going to do is count to three, and I'm just going to ask you to lift your hand, and we're going to lead you in a prayer that will change your life. It may be the first time you've ever made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, or it may just be about you recommitting your life to him. But if that's you, when I get to three, would you just raise your hand? One, two, three. Is there anyone here today you say, Justin, that's me? Yeah, there's one, there's two, there's three, there's four. I see you in the back. There's five. I see you in the back. You say, Justin, that's me. There's six hands. Is there anyone else? Before we go any further, you just say, man, that's me. There's a change that needs to be made in my life, and I want to join these six hands that are lifted before we go any further in service. You say, that's me. If you raise your hand, if you'd please repeat this prayer after me and mean it from your heart. Jesus, I come before you today. And I confess that I have sinned, that I've messed up, and I'm not where I need to be. But I ask for your forgiveness. Jesus, I ask that your love and grace would enter my life. God, I turn away from the life that I was living to grab hold of the life you have for me. I confess you, Jesus Christ to be the Lord and Savior of my life. I'm going to live for you the rest of my days. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. If you have any questions, are in need of prayer, or would like to join a connect group, feel free to email me at nicole at foundationschurch.tv. 